My name is Gustav Hoyer, and I am a composer. Welcome to the Anachronism Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Anachronism Podcast. I'm your host, Gustav Hoyer, and this is my first post-COVID uh, podcast, and it's a podcast topic I've been wanting to cover for a while, but over the last couple months, as we've seen the pandemic capture global imagination, I want to assure you that this podcast is 100% coronavirus free. Yes, that's right. In no way will listening to this podcast expose you to any risk of catching the coronavirus. With that bit of housekeeping out of the way, back to the question that has been sitting on my mind for the last several months. Uh, About three months ago, I started to ask myself the question, as an artist, what is it that science would say about why we listen to music? I know from a spiritual and a philosophical and a fine arts point of view, a lot of writing and a lot of reading I've done of my own on this topic, but what would science say? And today we're going to take a look at some interesting research I came across. A scholar named Tomas Schaefer, a European scholar, had written a series of articles on the topic of why do we listen to music? And I want to dive into that a little bit today because perhaps it's a question that you've never asked yourself explicitly. And after we take a look at what Dr. Schaefer has discovered, we'll take a look at perhaps what does it mean to me as an artist? How does that affect what I'm going to do? And perhaps it will lead you to ask questions about the kinds of music that you choose to listen to. So first, let's just talk about the research. The first article I came across was from, actually it's published through the National Institutes of Health.gov, a U.S. A federal agency that helps fund research, and they have a whole index of different scientific publications. And this particular publication came from Frontiers in Psychology in the August 2013 issue, volume four, and it was article 511 titled The Psychological Functions of Music Listening. So like any scholarly paper, it is filled with a extensive description of the hypothesis of the researchers, what do they think is happening, and then some scientific uh, language about how they designed an experiment to explore that hypothesis and did that hypothesis bear out or not. And in this particular scenario, the researchers had looked across a variety of dimensions of why we listen to music, such things as helping to cultivate thoughts about ourselves, or it conveying feeling, or perhaps we use it for distraction or escaping difficult reality, coping, a whole arena of different reasons that were given. And it was given through a survey process. So volunteers were given a survey to talk about why they were listening to music and discuss the reasons for their music choices throughout a period of time. And they would record those reasons. Those reasons then were bundled up together, and this study was performed, and what Dr. Schaefer and his collaborators have done is gather all this information and categorize it into three systematic areas, three dimensions that appeared. So as they looked at all the responses, pulled them together, did an analysis, three things came out. The first dimension uh, has to do with statements about self-related thoughts, essentially 
we look at self-awareness, and the, and the author describes this dimension of music listening is it's self-awareness or it's self-focused. In a sense, it's music as a mirror for our own inner journey. The second that they discovered, and this I was surprised, uh, I'll get to later about its relative importance, but social relatedness. And so it is music choice as an expression of social affiliation. We identify with groups through our music choices. And a classic scenario for me would be, especially as junior high students and, and adolescents, and I reflect back on my own adolescence, how music forms an identity for certain cohorts of young people, and they use it as a shorthand for identification with a certain ethos or a certain set of aesthetics. And so that's that second dimension. It's social relatedness. The third dimension had to do with uh, music as background entertainment, diversion. Essentially, it can be a distraction and it can help deal with mood. And so as the researchers categorize these things, mood, music as relaxation, or maybe makes you more alert. Some folks who might use it for their gym workout to get them pumped up, they label that third dimension arousal and mood regulation. So again, the three groups are self-awareness, social relatedness, and arousal and mood regulation. And so they looked across these three broad categories that grouped together a whole variety of reasons why people self-declared that they were choosing to listen to certain music at different, different points of time. What they found out was that there were uh, relative strengths and weaknesses and which were most important. And in fact, to me, the most interesting finding is social relatedness, that second category, was the least important. Actually, across the research, uh, Dr. Schaefer has discovered that the first scenario, self-awareness, and the third scenario, arousal and mood regulation, are the most important reasons. And they're the highest uh, social or, sorry, psychological function that he identified. And pause and take a minute to think about that. Really, as I've contemplated, what does that mean? It means music serving two purposes. One is utilitarian, and one is more um, deeply personal and more intimate. And that utilitarian perspective, if we take social relatedness out of it for a moment, and we know that music does have a role to play as a social bonding when we think of going to the symphony, being dressed up, and the social strata that's associated with uh, I've talked about that in other podcasts and how that actually can impede what is really happening with the music because it's high society more than it is high art in, in the motivation. Take all of that aside and now just look at the individual and why we choose. And it really is two things. One, we hold a mirror to ourselves when we listen to music. It is a form of introspection. And then the second is that we know music has an almost therapeutic ability to alter our mood or our state of arousal. And uh, as he looked across those two dimensions, they're roughly equal in importance. Uh, social relatedness was uh, a distant third relative to those two, but those two essentially govern it. So putting it in more fine arts terminology and taking it out of the domain of scientific research, 
Music is a tool to help us govern our mood, but it's also an instrument by which we explore our own inner voice, ourself. And it's that latter category where I have explored in a prior series of podcasts the idea of active listening. And active listening is a journey into the music. In a sense, it's creating our own personal journey into that music. And so I do want to take some examples today in our podcast and listen to a few different segments that deal with what is that, what is music for me that has taken me on that inner journey and music that has taken me on mood or an arousal, music I put on to govern my circumstances and help change my emotional state as well. So we'll take a listen to a couple of pieces today, and you'll have your own pieces and your own music. So this is just my personal journey, and on these two categories, particularly the category of self-awareness, there's nothing more personal or intimate than your own journey. No one can take that journey for you, and nor should anyone ever tell you what that journey should be. And as a voice of a form of music that's less widely popular and less widely embraced, sometimes there is a stigma about classical orchestral music. Perhaps you've experienced it, that it's seen as stuffy or stodgy. Uh, But there is no one who has permission to dictate to any individual what that inner self-awareness journey is. And perhaps this is a form of music for you, like it has been for me, that expands and multiplies that self-awareness in some extraordinary ways. Um, And so with that, I'd like to move to music. And um, this first selection is a composition I wrote and released on my recent album in 2018, Wonder. And it's written for a string trio and a piano. And Wonder is a musical reflection of the feeling you have when you stand on a mountain peak, especially in Colorado, here where I live, and it's high, the air is thin, and it's a cold night, perhaps in the summer, cool and bright and clear, and you can see the stars in an astonishing display of clarity and meditating on our place in a very vast universe, that sense of awe and tinged with intimidation but also delight in the beauty of the canopy of the stars overhead. And you hear in the music the crystalline sparkle. And I'm choosing this for my first piece, not because it's a piece of music that has served the functions we've talked about, particularly of self-awareness, but it is a piece that came out of a moment of reflection of my own experience. And so as a composer, sometimes I'm creating music that is reflective of that self-awareness rather than receiving that experience from other music. And one of the challenges, uh, a moment about why I don't include a lot of recordings from other composers or other music is the diff- the legal difficulties of securing the right to use that music and do it justly and fairly to the creators of those recordings. It's a complicated process I won't get into, but it makes it more difficult for me to share music from other sources and other composers than my own. Wonder, then, is my own composition, my recording, and it's that inward journey of awe and reverence for the night sky. Here's Wonder.
And there are many works by masters of classical music that have moved me similarly, that have inspired me. I'll have a list of some of those pieces in the show notes for this episode as well, uh, but I would like to give you just a little taste, and I can use short snippets of recordings and uh, use them for educational purposes, which I believe this podcast is certainly an educational setting, hopefully for you. I learn a lot when I do them too. So the next piece is by Edvard Grieg. It's the aria from his Holberg suite. And the inner journey is one of remorse for me when I hear it. I hear the sting of realization when we come to look back on something of which we're ashamed. It has that acid... Uh, but therapeutic recognition of moral wrong that we ourselves own. And uh, when I made that connection in my imagination when I heard this piece, it, it has stuck with me ever since. This is just a taste of the, to what to me is the sound of shame and remorse.
that's the beginning of the fourth movement of Grieg's Holberg Suite, the aria, and that's performed by the incomparable Sir Neville Mariner and the St. Martin's in the Fields Orchestra. I'll have a link for that recording, but you can hear it has that surging, almost internal weeping of regret within it. Another piece that for me has captured that inner journey, that self-awareness, has been the second movement of Rachmaninoff's great C minor piano concerto. And I'll just play a snippet of Gary Grafman playing at the keyboard. And you'll hear again, this is almost unbearably longing, and it's filled with that passion of unrequited love and the pain and the longing of it. And uh, this was a piece that accompanied me in an early heartbreak and embodied so much of that internal journey of self-awareness. This is Rachmaninoff's second piano concerto and the second movement. And that was the primary melody or the first theme of the second movement. Uh, there's a beautiful intro that sets the stage and creates space. Uh, but I just wanted to give you a little taste of that bittersweet uh, inner journey. Finally, uh, now we've touched on a couple of the weightier pieces, some of the more solemn things I do want to make time for our second primary reason that we listen to music, and that's arousal and mood regulation, thinking of those moments when perhaps we want something joyful or we want something to distract us um, and in some cases uh, make us more cheerful or help us relax or make us more alert. So I'll focus on a couple of upbeat pieces that have done that for me, one of my own and then a few snippets of some other masters uh, that have served that function for me. So first I want to start with a string piece that I released on a publicly available recording called Front Porch Rondo, and it's from an album called From Darkness Into Light. And this is a piece that is about foot stomping fun. It is a reflection of time spent with my brother making bluegrass music for entertainment just to pass the time and some of the idioms of American musical style that go into bluegrass, but set for a string orchestra. And so this recording uh, is uh, 
essentially a string orchestra or classical composer's treatment, but it's all about fun. There's no gravity here. It's foot stomping, and it has got Americana, I hope, written all over it. So this is Front Porch Rondo, and this is music of that second category, arousal and mood regulation. In particular, maybe just picking up your spirits. Thank you. 
some music just to pick up your spirits and help enjoy passing the time on the front porch. The next and final bit I'll play is something that has been meditative music for me many times. It's intricate and complex and some might say difficult to enter into and it's the music of J.S. Bach in particular. This is his D major toccata for piano and a toccata is a piece to touch the keyboard from the Italian toccare and it is about how the player interacts with the keyboard and so Bach created five of these and this particular one is wonderful atmospheric music that I have found levels my mood and helps actually keep me focused and alert and I've used it uh, on occasion to help me when I need to concentrate deeply. I have found that because the music is familiar it helps create a mental sharpness for me and I found Bach's contrapuntal music has that benefit. Some folks see it as relaxing, and for me it is, but it's attenuating and focusing, and I often go back to it when I have heavily intellectual work to do. I find somehow it exercises or helps me use those pathways in my brain. And so this is just a snippet of the incomparable Canadian pianist Glenn Gould playing Bach's D major toccata, just a fragment. If you were listening carefully, your ears did not deceive you. You will hear the pianist Glenn Gould humming at times and having great joy in making the music. And you can hear that delight come through in the crystalline clarity of his playing and the joyful ebullience of it. And so with that, a few of my own reflections on these two topics to summarize why do we listen to music. And again, Dr. Thomas Schaefer has given us some guide based on his research, that three things come out as patterns, but two specifically really drive us. And in my uh, reflection on this, it's I would word it this way. One, music is, it's a mirror. We gaze into music to discover ourself. And it might be a journey that we take to navigate difficult emotional circumstances or enter into self-reflection and it's the kind of listening that we would do actively active listening where we're engaging every note and the turn of every phrase uh, much like a, a lover of jazz music will sit wrapped as a, a jazz artist does their improvisation on a familiar tune so the backbone is known but they're listening to each choice of note and duration and inflection and that's part of an active listening journey into that music but it's as much a projection of our own souls as we listen to music and it's power to be a mirror for ourselves and then that second reason we listen to the predominant reason being 
mood regulation or arousal, just to bring us joy and delight, to stimulate us externally and to perhaps take a difficult time and not introspect, but to turn us outward and to experience the world. And so it's music in its functional role as creating uh, an atmosphere of mood to take us somewhere else. And that third reason he identified being least important is social relatedness, a topic we'll probably come back to in the future, but again, not one of the primary motivators. So as a composer, as I've reflected on these, it's actually influenced some of my creative decision-making. And I have a project I'm working on that I'll be sharing in future episodes and releasing commercially that is much more that second category of mood and arousal, music for fun, music for its external purposes, music as utility. And as a composer, it's been difficult for me to embrace that because I write every note carefully and I want it to be treated with the same level of respect uh, for the amount of work it takes to create a piece of music. But this research has actually helped me embrace a side of music and art that I haven't as effectively embraced, and that's uh, music for the joy of the listening and not for the content of its meaning or the internal journey it represents. And that's been liberating too. It's freed me to create music simply because it's fun and light. And so my project is, uh, I'm calling right now, Bubblegum. And it's just like candy. And it's actually very much derived from American pop music in its truest sense. Uh, You would hear the opening bits and it would sound like uh, music you might hear in a cafe or commonly. It's not classical in any sense but I'm still infusing it with a classical sensibility and compositional techniques. So I'll look forward to sharing that fusion of my classical craft and an embrace of arousal and mood regulation as to why we listen to music. So I apologize. It's been a couple of months since I've been able to share with you. I know that friends and family uh, periodically enjoy this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this one and it leads you to think differently about why you engage music and maybe open up a new window of adventure for you to explore your own soul through music. Thanks for joining me. Again, I'd encourage you also reach out to me at salutations at gustavhoyer.com. You can find me on Facebook as Gustav Hoyer, impresario, composer. I have a Twitter feed. I'm not particularly active on social media, and it's not a natural channel for me. Uh, But this podcast will continue as a great way for me to speak to you as a friend, uh, which is how I regard everyone who shares this love of music with me and who does me the honor of listening to my thoughts and even more so listening to my music. Thanks for joining me for this episode, and I'll look forward to joining you next time on the Anachronism Podcast.